Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Scott Boris, let's face it. The numbers we expected have not been there. And in this world, in the world of agenting, in the world of contracts, in the world of free agents, what matters is the guarantee. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Fair Territory. I am coming to you. Well, actually, I'll reveal where I am today. I'm in Tampa. I'm in a hotel room. It's not my usual beautiful setup, but this is the way it is on the road. I'm at spring training in Florida, bouncing around. And we have a lot to talk about this week, starting with the Matt Chapman signing, because it's interesting in so many different ways. I want to give you the details first, as reported by Andrew Baggerly of The Athletic. The contract itself, as announced by the Giants, is rather intriguing. It is a three-year deal, a three-year guarantee, but the Giants announced it as a one-year contract with a $17 million player option for 2025, or buyout, an $18 million player option for 2026. That's guaranteed money. Player options are guaranteed money, and then a mutual option for 27. So, three years, $54 million. A price for Matt Chapman that I don't know that many of us would have envisioned at the start of the offseason. A couple of years ago, actually around 2020, he turned down $150 million over 10 years from the A's. Last spring, reportedly, he turned down $120 million for six years from the Blue Jays. That's something that Scott Boris, the agent, disputes, says that's inaccurate. Whatever. It was reported, and I've heard it myself. Then he signs for $54 million. So, for the Giants, this is a tremendous move. And it starts to look with the Giants like their offseason is coming together rather nicely, even if it ends with this transaction. I'm talking about the moves that they've made with their starting pitching. Jordan Hicks, signing him to be a starter, can always be a reliever. Robbie Ray, they acquired him in a trade from the Mariners. He will be available in the second half of the season. And then the offensive, and I should say defensive additions as well, Jung-Hoo Lee in center field, Chapman at third base, Jorge Soler, we don't count him as a defensive addition, but certainly a really good hitter, the right-handed power bat that they need. So they've done some good things here. As Andrew Baggerly pointed out in The Athletic on Sunday, they had to improve their defense. They had the most errors in the National League last season. They had the greatest ground ball staff in the National League, or the highest percentage of ground balls among their pitchers, and yet... With a porous infield defense, that wasn't really such a great thing because, well, the balls got through. And Logan Webb, in particular, suffered. He's one of the best ground ball pitchers in the game. So now they have Chapman at third. The potential for Nick Ahmed at short, and I'd actually be tempted to play him, even though Nick doesn't really hit much. That would give them an airtight defense on the left side of the infield. Lee in center field is going to be athletic. We don't know if he will hit. Now, they still have moves that they could make. Most notably, I would say right now, a trade of J.D. Davis, who seemingly has no place on their roster, at least the way it's formulated with Chapman coming over, Wilma Flores, first base, and a number of others in the mix as well. So J.D. Davis is expendable, and I would think you could move his salary and maybe get something in return. 
The other question that people keep asking is, will the Giants sign Blake Snell? The president of baseball operations, Farhan Zaidi, spoke to reporters Sunday, and he said a number of things, some of them contradictory, and let's go through them a little bit. I want to start off with this quote. The offseason's really over as far as we're concerned. We have talked all offseason and been very consistent that our plan was to continue to graduate some of our pitchers we're really high on, particularly in the rotation. Now, Zaidi later noted that he said almost the same thing after Jorge Soler signed. The offseason is over. And he also left room to make another addition, if possible, and Blake Snell would be the obvious one. Let's take a look at the Giants' rotation as it is presently constituted with the loss of Tristan Beck. He's out now. Let's see what they have because they're still waiting on Robbie Ray and Alex Cobb. This would be the opening day group if they had to open right now. Logan Webb, Jordan Hicks, Kyle Harrison, Keaton Wynn, Sean Jelly. That is not the kind of group you want to compete with. You don't know about the four guys behind Webb. You just don't know. So Blake Snell is still a perfect fit for them, but it has to be a situation, obviously for the Giants, where they deem the price acceptable. As far as where they are right now, and this Chapman move, I want to dive into it because the details are fascinating to me. Now, Scott Boris will say, as I mentioned earlier, that he wanted this type of deal because this way Chapman can get back in the market. He had the finger injury last year. He didn't get the long-term deal that he originally was seeking. Whatever. Here's how attractive it was for the Giants. I don't know if you guys read this, but the other day in the windup, I wrote that Chapman and Snell were problematic for teams on opt-out situations because if they left after one year, these are guys who rejected a qualifying offer, so you lose a draft pick, okay? They're going to lose a draft pick for Matt Chapman, and they're not getting one back if he opts out because you cannot give a player a second qualifying offer. That draft pick, what is it worth? Well, it's number 51 for the Giants, the one that they sacrificed for Chapman. And the slot value for that pick last year was about $1.66 million. I'm estimating, guessing, it will go up to about $1.8 million this year. What's the draft pick worth? Okay. Steve Cohen, the Mets owner, after they failed to sign Kumar Rocker a few years back, had this tweet. And this tweet kind of revealed how teams think about the value of draft picks. Education time, Cohen said. Baseball draft picks are worth up to five times their slot value to clubs. I never shy away from investments that can make me that type of return. All right, that was talking about Rocker, not relevant to our conversation here. What is relevant is what he said. Draft picks worth up to five times their slot value. The slot value of the Giants pick, the one they're losing, is going to be, in my estimation, about $1.8 million. Multiply that by five, it's worth $9 million. What is Matt Chapman getting in year one? $20 million. So they're essentially doing a $29 million investment when you put everything together in Matt Chapman for one year. On a one-year deal, clubs will take that all the time for a player of this caliber. Now, keep in mind, Matt Chapman last year, 3.5 war in Fangraph's estimation, 4.1 the year before, 4.2 the year before that. I know I'm getting in the weeds here with the math, but I want people to understand this because it is really explanatory of what is going on here. So again, Matt Chapman, let's take him at last year's war, three and a half. Each point of war, the clubs believe, is worth between eight and 10 million. So Chapman last year, worth between 28 and 35 million. If he goes up to four war, that's 32 to 
40 million, and that is right around where this deal is. Again, 29 million combined salary and draft pick estimation, and he's worth probably more than that on a one-year deal. That is why they were willing to give up the draft pick. So the Matt Chapman deal, a clear win for the Giants. It's going to be really interesting to see if they go out and get Snell as well, or if they stand down at this point and indeed commit to their younger pitchers. It's a dangerous game to play early in the season. You could get buried, but they do have Cobb coming back sooner than they probably expected, maybe sometime in the first half, and then Robbie Ray in the second half. The Giants, to me, suddenly are a lot more interesting than they were 24 hours ago, four weeks ago, two months ago. This is a team that I don't know is going to overtake the Dodgers, but they certainly can compete for a postseason berth. The other big news out of the weekend, Ronald Acuna and the concern about the irritation around the meniscus in his right knee. Acuna flew to Los Angeles from the Braves training site on the west coast of Florida. That indicates a level of concern. Now, we'll have to see how this all plays out. That's the same knee he had reconstructed in July 2021. He's going to see Dr. Neil Elitrash, the surgeon. Alex Anthopoulos, president of baseball operations, though, said on Sunday that he has a high level of confidence that Acuna will be ready for opening day. Obviously, let's all hope that is the case. This is one of the game's most exciting players, not to mention really the centerpiece of the Atlanta Braves. The leadoff man, the right fielder, the reigning MVP, just a thrilling guy to watch on a daily basis. The mere prospect of him being out for any degree of time kind of reminds me of how much it is folly to predict or project what is going to happen in any given season. Now, teams do this all the time. They have their models. They try to actually play out the season, simulate it to see where their strengths and weaknesses are. Websites like Fangraphs and Baseball Prospectus also project records. It's fun to look at. There's no question about it. I love it. And it gives you an idea of teams' relative strengths. But I always say this when people ask me, all right, who do you think is going to be good? My answer, tell me who's going to get hurt, tell me who's going to get traded, and then I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. But the bottom line is, we don't know who's getting hurt, we don't know who's getting traded, and frankly, we also don't know the variables in performance that we'll see over the course of a season with any number of players. That's why we play the games, folks, because we don't know what is going to happen. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Time now for the inside dish, the part of the show where I talk about a story I've written, a trend in the game, or something else that might be on my mind. This week, the subject is Mike Trout. Every spring for Fox, I sit down with a number of players from a number of different teams 
and interview them for features that we're going to run on our pregame shows throughout the course of a season. This year, I believe I did six teams, all of them were in Arizona, and I sat down with Trout last week as part of the group of players we were interviewing with the Angels. Obviously, anytime you talk to Trout, it's going to be interesting, and with him right now, there are a lot of questions and a lot of things that fans want to know. The main thing fans seem to want to know is why he won't ask out, why he doesn't demand a trade. And I've seen various commentary from people, even some of the media at times, saying, well, what's up with Mike Trout? Does he not want to win? Is he just too comfortable in Anaheim? What's his problem? And in this interview, which I wrote about for The Athletic on Monday, I asked Trout that question. I asked him, hey, do you hear the noise? Do you hear what people are saying about you? And he said, yes. And it makes me want to win here even more. Now, that has been his consistent point of view, really, for the past several years as we've begun to ask him, hey, man, why are you content to be here? He wants to win in Anaheim. As problematic as an idea as we might all think that is, that is his idea. And it goes back to something that he has said to me over the years and, frankly, in many interviews. He grew up in Millville, New Jersey. Derek Jeter was his favorite player. Derek Jeter played for one team. That is what Mike Trout wants to do. He also signed a contract which until Shohei Otani was the richest contract in baseball history with the Angels, over $400 million when all told. If Mike Trout asked out at any point, there would be some people, I'll guarantee you in this world, who would say, huh, that's some loyalty he's showing to the guy who committed $400 million to him. What's up with that? Well, he's not doing that. At the same time, he is becoming more vocal. And you saw that in his initial spring training news conference. He admitted to kind of lobbying the front office and Artie Moreno, the owner, for free agent additions. His point was, there are a lot of good players still out there. Let's go. Let's get some help. I don't know that he had said anything like that ever before. And he has been adamant that he wants to win. And he was adamant in this interview as well. That's his goal. And that is his sheer desire. There's another part of this as well, his own performance. Over the past three seasons, Mike Trout has played in fewer than 50% of the Angels' games. Now, last year, of course, he had the Hamay fracture that occurred on a swing. Some of these things just cannot be helped. It takes some luck to stay healthy as well as good training and all of that. But Trout is hellbent, repeat, hellbent, on becoming the player he once was. And keep in mind, let's not forget who he is. From 2012 to 2019, this cat was first or second in the American League MVP voting seven out of eight years. In 2022, 40 home runs in 118 games. He was eighth in the MVP voting, and that was an injury-marred season. So he talked with me about some mechanical adjustments he's trying to make, and he also talked about how much he wants to get back to MVP form, how much that means to him. And let's keep in mind, if he does get back to that, and he doesn't think he's in decline, he thinks he's got some mechanical things to work out and he'll be fine. Okay, if he does get back to that MVP form, suddenly the Angels might look like a different team. They haven't done much this offseason. We all know that. They've added some in the bullpen. Looks a little bit better than it did in the past. And their position club, while they haven't really done anything there of consequence, it can be a pretty good group of healthy. They've got some interesting young players. The rotation is still questionable, of course. 
But if Trout is healthy and Trout is Trout, well, I know they haven't made the playoffs since 2014, even when he's healthy, but it kind of changes the equation. So that is his mindset right now. He wants to be healthy. He wants to win in Anaheim. And really, at this point, he's not thinking about much else. Now, at some point, will Mike Trout reach his own breaking point? I believe he might. And obviously, if he's a better player than he's been the past few years, a healthier player, he'd have more trade value. And keep in mind, with a full no-trade clause, he can basically pick his destination. But he's not there yet. And those of us in the media, those of us who are fans, I don't know that we should be rushing him. It's his call. And it doesn't mean he's not a winner or doesn't want to win or anything like that when he chooses to stay in Anaheim. He has his reasons. If this guy didn't want to win, he wouldn't be working the way he works. And Ron Washington is quoted in my column on Monday as basically saying he works to the point where it's almost out of control. He wouldn't ever have been in the position he's in, one of the best players of all time. He's hungry. He wants to win. Of course he wants to win. So for people to question his motivations, his mentality, I, I don't buy that. But it's going to have to happen on his own pace. He's made that pretty clear. And let's see what happens this year. Because it seems to me he's getting there. It's slow. He's not rushing into any decision. But he is becoming less and less patient with what is going on in Anaheim. And of course, who can blame him? All right, time now for the dude and dork of the week. The dude of the week, I don't know that it gets any easier. Now, this guy's been the dude of the week, I don't know, a gazillion times already in the first year of Fair Territory. But of course, it's Shohei Otani. Not only is he off to a blazing start this spring, the dude got married. Congratulations, Shohei. Congratulations on your nuptials. It was an interesting announcement. And if you read Dylan Hernandez in the LA Times, who has a real good sense of Japanese culture, he's half Japanese, he explained why it was done this way, why Shohei chose to kind of just spring it on us. But congratulations to Shohei Otani again, dude of the week, married man of the week. Slugger of the week, he does it all. Dork of the week, I'm going to be careful with my wording here. I'm going to be careful because this dork of the week is likely going to get me a phone call. The dork of the week, and I'm going to say it's a pending dork of the week. And this will not be resolved for quite some time. But for now, dork of the week is Scott Boris. And it's Scott Boris because these deals are not at the level that so many of us expected. But the reason that it's pending is because we've seen Boris do this before, where he gets guys on one year and then they ultimately sign for much bigger dollars. It's happened with Carlos Correa, most notably, Adrian Beltre going back to his pillow contract with the Red Sox. It's not over yet. But Scott Boris, let's face it, the numbers we expected have not been there. And in this world, in the world of agenting, in the world of contracts, in the world of free agents, what matters is the guarantee. That's what matters. The opt-outs are nice, and yes, all these guys, Bat Chapman, Cody Bellinger, maybe it's Snell too, Jordan Montgomery, if they get the opt-outs, they can go out to the market again, but they have to prove themselves first. So the guarantee is what you always want. And I know all of these free agents have warts, their flaws, we've talked about them, and the market's been a little bit different. There are reasons why this has happened, but I will tell you, certain club officials are quite happy about this turn of events. 
Scott Boris has a great free agent class next year again. Before the opt-out, guys, before we even get started with those guys, I'm talking about Juan Soto. I'm talking about Corbin Burns, Pete Alonso, Alex Bregman, and more. He's going to be just fine, but he's pending dork of the week. Sorry, Scott. Here we go with Grilling Ken. Let's get to your questions. And I believe the first question comes from a rather notable name this week. Kind of a celebrity question. It comes from Matt Strom, Philadelphia Phillies reliever, who asks, Hey, Ken, what's this fancy thing? And he links to something about Traject Sports. Traject Sports builds advanced pitching robots that precisely replicate tracked pitches. And it's something that is quite an innovation, to say the least. And Matt, in an interview with Rob Bradford of WEEI, kind of lamented that these machines, which can replicate any pitcher and any pitch that the pitcher throws, are now going to be available to hitters throughout every game. They weren't available in past years during games because the wireless connection wasn't proper, something along those lines, but this year they will be available. So if you want to see, for instance, Yohan Duran's fastball, and you're going to be a pinch hitter late in the game, say the Cleveland Guardians, you want to see his fastball, you can sit in the cage, have the trajectory, Wound up to the 102 miles an hour Duran's going to throw. The ball's going to come at you as it would out of Duran's hand. And Matt, in his interview with Rob Bradford, his question was, or his problem with this was, hey, it's a huge advantage for hitters. And what about pitchers? He's got a point. The only thing is that it's all teams that face this problem and all pitchers that face this problem, or this challenge, I wish you'd say. And... It's not going to get turned around. Now, maybe they can develop something along the same lines for pitchers. It's a complicated question, but Matt has been outspoken about this. I believe that's why he popped in with that question. All right, let's see if we have any fan questions in addition to player questions this week. Let's go to HD Baltimore Bird Dog. I don't think I've ever heard your opinion on expanding to 32 teams. If the current move of the Athletics to Las Vegas goes through, beyond Nashville, where is the other expansion city? It's interesting, HD. I assume, like you do, that Nashville will be the Eastern expansion team. There's so much momentum there. I know Atlanta and St. Louis and Cincinnati might have some objections. They all draw fans from that Nashville area, but that is a booming city. It's a perfect market. They've got a great ownership group. It seems like a lock. The real question is, what happens out West? Portland has been a factor. Salt Lake City has been a factor. And I don't know that we can dismiss Oakland. Because once the A's leave, Oakland is going to want to get into the expansion derby. Now, baseball's position on Oakland has been, of course, that they can't come up with the money, they can't build a stadium, they can't do this, can't do that, blah, blah, blah. Oakland believes quite the opposite. Oakland has come up with plans and shown the league plans. League doesn't believe it, whatever. You still want to get into that market or back into that market if you can with a new stadium. I said this on foul territory, and I'll say it again. Give that fan base, small but fiercely loyal, a new ballpark, a competitive team, and you see, you watch how that group grows and supports that team. I'd like to see them get another chance. All right, final question. This one comes from Tom Johnson, who asks, Will Alex Cora survive this season? My answer to that is yes. Why would anyone think this is on Cora? The Red Sox ownership, which has basically hibernated this winter, 
has not done enough to improve the team. They've signed Giolito. They've done some things, but not nearly enough. If they sign Jordan Montgomery, different story, and then maybe you can ask, okay, is Alex Cora, I don't know, on the hot seat? But I don't think this is on him at all. Frankly, this is on ownership, which changed presidents of baseball operations and yet has not changed its spending style. Cora, though, is a free agent at the end of the year. And it's going to be interesting to see if he wants to continue managing. That's the first question, always. And he has talked about how it's not that easy in Boston to keep managing year after year after year. And it also will be interesting to see if the Red Sox play to a level that people are going to say, you know what, Alex Cora still has it. So I don't know that he's in any jeopardy as far as a midseason firing. But will he be back in 2025? That's one of the biggest questions surrounding the Red Sox right now. I want to thank everyone for their questions. I want to thank everyone for listening, for watching. You know where to find us by now. YouTube, Apple, Spotify. Subscribe to us. Like us. Do whatever your heart tells you. We'll be back next week with another edition of Fair Territory. Place your first BetMGM Sportsbook wager through the app of at least five bucks. You will receive $150 instantly in additional winnings, regardless of your wager's outcome. Got to use the bonus code FOUL, F-O-U-L, when you download the app and you're a new customer. Sign up and deposit at least five bucks into the account. Place a wager in the amount of at least five bucks at standard odds price. And once you place that bet, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of the outcome of your wager. Gambling problem or concern? Call 1-800-GAMBLING. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.